Diet Black Podcast is a podcast about true crime, punk rock and gothic music, TV shows and movies, pretty much anything creepy or weird that we decide to discuss. It may contain graphic content, vulgar language, and suggestive themes that may be triggering and or inappropriate for some listeners. Let's be honest, it's gonna contain vulgar language. Now all opinions are just that, they're opinions. We are not scholars, lawyers, or historians, and by no means do we claim to be experts. And the information that we obtain comes from the internet, and we have no proof that it's fact. So thank you, and enjoy the show. Tam and I have sexy post cold voice today. So if I sound a little different, it's not because I'm trying to seduce you. I always am trying to seduce you. Yes. But today it's just because <laughs> my throat is a little dry. And we're we're clearing up from the plague. Hey, <laughs> sorry, cat. So we're trying a new recording format. So hopefully uh, this will make the recordings much easier to listen to, and you will hopefully enjoy them more. And as a reminder, uh, something we haven't done, which we want to try to do, is if you like the podcast, please go on to iTunes. If you listen to it there, rate us, give us a review, pretty much on any platform that you listen to podcasts. And if you do give us a review or a rate on iTunes, take a picture of it and send it to us at our email, which is dietblack at gmail.com, and we will make sure to shout you out. We will say very nice things about you on the podcast we will give you funny nicknames if you want tell us what you need because we're trying to get as much interaction going as possible we realize that we do have followers we just want to know who you are so um let us know on itunes let us know on our instagram and then we're also working on the facebook page as well and we realized today we did a little research that we're not getting many people seeing the Facebook group without promotion. So I'm going to start promoting stuff, but I also need you guys to react to it, comment on our posts. If I post a question, let me know what kind of books you guys like. Let us know about your favorite movies. Let us know about your haunted houses. We want to hear from you so we can start tailoring stuff to what you want to hear. So let us know Get out there, post, get us out there and review us, get us out there and rate us, and that way we can continue to bring you content that you want to hear and make it even better. And that's our goals. Yes. So we're starting this new year off, and we want to, now that we've got a pretty good foothold on what we're doing, kind of. We want to take it to the next level and give you what you want to hear. So Yeah, so tonight is definitely going to be more of a format that I enjoy putting together, and I think Tam did as well. So I think what we're going to try to do is we want to find a haunted place that is also tied to some true crime and has some interesting history, even if it's history on a neighborhood or an area. I am completely down to do that. For this one, it's a really old city. And the place that we went to is super old, so I got lots of research. I am a huge history buff. And I am a history nerd as well. Um, I was a history major before I was an English major, before I was an art history major, before I just, you know, didn't have a major at all. But the fact is that I love history because the biggest part of history is the story. Everybody's got a story. Everybody lived at some point. And if we can tell you about these people or these places we want to bring it to you in the most interesting way possible. Yes. Now, I did collect facts. Uh, there are going to be a lot of places in this where I'm going to say it's said because this particular one has a lot of a legend that surrounds it. Uh, but I hope that you like it and feedback is definitely taken into consideration. Even if we make a grammar error, because especially if I post something, there's going to be errors because I have fat finger. I love you, but you're terrible at typing. Yep, I am. And... I type very fast, but 
I don't always catch the autocorrect. <laughs> so. Alright, so enough of us rambling. We're going to get into the show. And we've got a really good one we're very excited about tonight. Yes. So, tonight, we're going to discuss one of our favorite haunted spaces ever. We went into some of these spaces via a nightclub slash pub that we visited while we were on our honeymoon in Edinburgh, Scotland. And if you haven't been to Edinburgh, Scotland, I mean, it's not like it's an easy jump for a lot of us, but hey, if you have the opportunity, totally go. It's the capital of Scotland. There's so much history there. It's a beautiful city. You can walk, excuse me, everything. (laughs) was not intended um you can yeah you can walk everywhere which we did towards the end of our few days there uh we definitely ended up taking taxis um but we did get tired eventually but bring a good pair of walking shoes i i'm a personal fan of the doc martens myself and you can get wherever you need to go yeah i wore my chucks and i was fine Mm -hmm. so but, so we went to a few places, but there were two that made our gothy slash punk hearts swoon. And we went back twice to both of them in our three days in the city. Um, though how it, it looked and felt, I knew that we absolutely loved it and wanted to eventually cover it. Yeah. Doing something. And, well, since we have this podcast, we've got a perfect platform to talk about it. Yes. Um, and we are not sponsored by these places. These are just our personal, like, profuse love for them. So, hey, I mean, if anybody from these places is hearing us, we are giving you the shout out because you treated us right. Yeah. It, not only was this particular... So we're going to talk about uh, Banshee Labyrinth on uh, Neardry Street in uh, Cowsgate. Cow's Gate. Cow's Gate! Which was such a cool venue. The bartenders were amazing. There was a karaoke event that we went to that was so much fun. Everybody was really nice. Even though I am terrible at karaoke, they put up with me and were very <laughs> polite about it. Yeah. So thank you for that. And if you're American and you like to sing, they <laughs> love American songs. Like, they're really obsessed with the like the nineties. Oh yeah, so absolutely. It was I mean, like the song I was gonna do is the one I always do at karaoke. And Tam, at the last minute before I go went out, like grabbed me and she's like, "This band's from Scotland. Don't fuck this up." That's true. That's true. Um, he was gonna do some Simple Minds, and Simple Minds are Scottish. And it occurred to me at the last minute that like this is like one of their national bands and. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. So it was. And he did it. He did it justice. So. So now, if you go onto the venue's website, they even boast about the its location and all the possible ghostly residents which reside there on their website. Uh, Quote: Our venue proves why Edinburgh really is Jekyll and Hyde city. Half of the club was once part of the infamous underground vaults once a haunt of criminals, thieves, and the very unsavory. It was in these former slums that many poor and innocent met a very grisly end. Ironically, right next door, the front of the club was once home to one of the richest men in Edinburgh, Lord Nicol Edwards. Edwards was Lord Provost of Edinburgh during the reign of King James VI. Yeah, we're also going to really butcher the Scottish accent a yeah, lot. Yeah, England so, and was uh, reputedly a vile man. Not only did he abuse his own wife horribly, but it is said that he would have in the basement a dungeon beneath his house in which he at times personally tortured suspected witches before trial. Now, along with many other spirits, the Banshee haunts the labyrinth. When refurbishing the venue, a group of workmen believed they all heard a terrifying scream. A few hours later, one of the workmen received a phone call informing him that a family member had passed away. Whenever you choose to sit back, relax, and enjoy your drink, remember to be very careful. Many have placed their drink down simply to watch it slide straight off the table and smash against a wall as if thrown by an unseen force. Woo! Yeah, so. 
<laughs> now, while doing my research on the pub, I found an episode of Drunk Tales on YouTube where an employee of the Banshee claims that it's haunted by at least two spirits. So they've got two spirits in particular that are important to them. The first one is named Molly. During renovation of the club, they took down a wall which revealed a fireplace, and a pair of girls' shoes fell out. That's when the activity supposedly began related to Molly. Uh, Even one day, they stacked stools into the fireplace space. Later that night, their motion-activated CCTV turned on just as the stools were flying across the length of the room. The cameras didn't catch anything, not a person, or a shadow. The employee states that the chimney for the fireplace is sealed off. There's no way Wayne could get in. There is no way that those stools could have moved without someone or something moving them. And I think our lights just flickered, so I just, you know, a little, like, eerie (laughs) there. I think I got goosebumps, but go on. The other spirit said to haunt the banshee is called Mr. Boots. Boots was a man who is said to have once guarded the area. Boots is called Boots because you can hear him walking around. They feel that he is guarding the venue and making sure patrons and staff are safe. But I had to ask myself, what was the past of this place that is fodder for so many ghostly tales? And even so, even so much to have a claim to being one of the most haunted places in the world, the history is quite revealing on its own. Tell us about it. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> So deep beneath the 19 arches of the South Bridge in Edinburgh, Scotland, lies a series of mysterious chambers built along with the bridge in 1788, known as the Edinburgh Vaults. The bridge itself is said to be cursed. The Lord Profs of the time, James Hunter Blair, signed an act giving the go-ahead to build the South Bridge using the designs of architect Robert Abbey. With the completion of the bridge, it was said that the oldest resident should be the first to cross the bridge. This person was deemed to be Judge Hunter Blair's wife. Sadly, just days before the ceremony was to take place, she passed away. But, keeping to their promise, the locals had her coffin taken across the bridge by horses. It is then said that her coffin was cast into the river. And I believe there's no actual facts stating this, but it's part of the rumor and the ghost tales. I also came across the tale while I was researching separately. And yeah, they did say that she died a couple days before the bridge was supposed to be christened and that her coffin was taken across as the first person to pass through. So I don't know anything about them dumping her in the river, but I do know that like they said that death has followed ever since her coffin was the first thing across this bridge. Now, refusing to cross it for years, the citizens would actually travel it by walking through the deep valley known as Cowsgate. Cowsgate. Yeah, it's an interesting, dark little area that is below the bridge. There's actually a lot of clubs down there. Super popular with the college there. Yeah, so if you go at night, there's just bar after bar after bar. And you can just see everybody hopping from place to place, getting wasted and ending up on the streets. Yeah, we so. went to like a goth industrial night too at a club down that way as well. Yeah. Which was fun. I mean, it was a really cool space. And again, everybody was really nice. It's just that it was very late at night. And we were already very drunk. So after going up there and hearing a song or two, we realized that it was probably best that we get back to our hotel. Yeah. And but. you knew what, what, what kind of situations they had at that particular club it was the only pub slash club in the entire city where we got plastic cups that's true because they nobody was allowed to have glass yeah because <laughs> you know they throw them at each other great music cool venue as well yeah all right so the bridge itself became the first shopping road and a link and linked the old town with the buildings of the university on the south side of town the vaults were originally built for tradesmen who worked on the bridge and used as storage or workspaces. The tradesmen were very respectable classes, such as silversmiths, goldsmiths, and bookbinders at the time. However, 
they only occupied the chambers for about 30 years when they began to move out. This was due to quick deterioration of the vaults that was prone to flooding due to the rushed construction of the bridge, which caused the surface to never be sealed against water damage. Oops. So this, even from the get-go, it was cursed. Yeah. You know, you had all these people who moved in, ready to make this a really respectable area and do good things there. And of course, they start getting flooded and nobody wants to be there anymore. No, so. you don't want to keep, if you're like a, especially those... Yeah, like a corpse finder, like you the last thing you need shit is like moisture. No. So. Now, the story turns dark as the tradesmen begin to move out of the vaults. So as they left, it made room for the city's poor and deprived, depraved to move in. Uh, the vaults soon became hot spots for crimes like robbery and murder. Murder? Murder. It is said that the vaults served as illegal taverns, gambling dens, and even had an illegal whiskey distillery. There were even rumors of a famous serial killer duo using the vaults to hunt. Complete rumor, by the way. We'll get into that later. However, even the criminals of the area began to move out around the 1820s. Now, when the Irish moved to the area around the 1840s, they lived in the slums as well. Now, during Britain's Industrial Revolution in the 1850s, the Cowgate area, where the vaults are located, had developed into Edinburgh's slums. Slum dwellers soon took over the vaults and began to house the city's red-light district with countless brothels and pubs. All during this time, it also served as slum housing for the city's poorest people. The conditions in the vaults were said to have been appalling at this time. The rooms were dark, cramped, and damp. There was no sunlight in the vaults, no air circulation, it was very poor. This, along with the lack of sanitation, made the vaults a breeding ground for the bubonic plague, for it is said that during that time, the sick were shuffled down into the vaults, sealed in, and left to die. It is said that sometime around the 1840s, probably later, the last residents were removed from the vaults, and it was filled with rubble to keep the people from entering them anymore. Now, there's a lot of conflicting stuff, because I believe in the record books there's no official time span for the process of everything that happened in the vaults, which is why, like, they said in the 1850s, during the Industrial Revolution, it became slums, but then they're like, people moved out in the 1840s, so it's kind of up in the air. So the time frame from the time that the vaults may have closed is anywhere from 1835 to 1885, I believe. I mean, unfortunately, you know, when you've got slums, nobody's paying attention, nobody's writing a history of these people. Nobody wants you to know that we had slums. Exactly. So these were the forgotten people. These were the people that nobody wanted to talk about. Edinburgh was trying to, like, get themselves on the map. It was a capital city. They They wanted people to come to Scotland. They didn't want people to be freaked out and leave. Exactly. Then, in 1988, a landowner discovered the vaults when he crawled under his property. They were eventually excavated in the 1990s by Nori Rowan and his son Norman, disturbing the restless souls and beginning a cycle of hauntings now related to this space. So, inspired by my research, mm-hmm. I wrote a poem. A poem? A poem. It's been a long time since I've written. I mean, I write poetry, but... It's got to be super inspired. I'm sorry, I've got a very passive-aggressive cat right here. Alright, here we go. Carry on, tell me your poem. I sent it to you, so you know it. That's not the point, I want them to hear you (laughs) say your poem. Welcome, welcome, come in, come in. Close the sash, clasp the lock, lest the ghost of boots beseech you again. Come in, come in, sit down, sit down by the fires where Molly once sat. In the vaults, in the vaults, down the hill, up the hill, under the bridge, don't be late, down the hill, up the hill, to Neardry Street in Cow's Gate. Cow's Gate? I'm going to keep doing that because it's funny. And there is actually a place down there that has the back end of a cow. And the front end of a cow. And the front end of a cow as, like, just sticking out of the walls down there. And it was originally called Cow's Gate because that's where they brought the cattle into the market. Mm-hmm. So 
that's what the original function of Cow's Gate was before the vaults opened and before it became the red light district. But, I mean, they're reveling in it now. Like, that is their history, and it's cool as fuck. And they so. love it, and they accept it. Now, some of the examples of things that were experienced in the vaults, now that they're open, include the so-called malevolent spirit of a woman in what's known as the cobbler's room. It's said to attack pregnant women. Now, per one of the guides in the vaults, the spirit attacked her during her pregnancy. She said that the spirit is a young woman that's no more than 20 years old. She's angry, and she's wearing red and black. It's said that she actually told a psychic that she lost her child. The guide said that she heard crying from the corner of the room, and then she had the urge that she was going to be very sick. She got the tour out, but it occurred two more times during that month, and at the time she was six months pregnant. Wow. Now there's another ghost of a little boy named Jack. Oh, Jack. They say he is a friendly little boy that waves at you and holds your hand. He's also known to tug on coats and throw stones. It was once said by a psychic that he has disappeared dates back to the year 1810 and could be one of the unsolved missing persons cases from the time period, possibly listed in the Edinburgh. Because huh. the newspaper at the bottom. It's the newspaper. Now, another ghost is that of Boots, which I did talk about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. About the website. Boots. Not just a drugstore. No. Now, according to guides of the vaults, the spirit is said to be a tall man wearing a dark overcoat and big black boots. They think that he is a slum landlord but lived in the vaults in the 19th century. He is said to have a leering grin and no eyes. It's also said that he does not like people in the vaults and is known to shout, Get out! Cool. There is an area within the vault that also has stone circles and has been a hot spot for tourist paranormal activity with sharp pains and shoves. There's also a story of a ghost dog in what is called a double vault. Sometimes he's felt rubbing against visitors and is often heard running away. Is it Stevie? Yeah, no, it is a dog. Okay. A shaggy dog. Now, the site has also been home to underground parties and clubs. Yep. And it's also been investigated numerous times including by our infamous Ghost Adventures, and is in Season 1, Episode 2. Oh. It's also the location of multiple ghost tours throughout the city. So, if you're so inclined and you're in Edinburgh, you can take a tour of the vaults, if you dare. Mm-hmm. Or you can just go have a drink down in the pub. Yeah, I mean, that's like the coolest thing about the UK, like, everywhere we went, it's like, that's the social scene, that's what you do. And honestly, it was the best time we had, and we met so many cool people. Yeah, so, Banshee Labyrinth, awesome. In the vaults, you can actually go into the little, like, vault cubbies. They've got not only, like, the karaoke room, but there are jukeboxes, there's tables the shape of coffins. Yeah, there's one room uh, down in the vaults. Um, if you go through the hallway with the table of coffins, there's a room with a pool table, and it's got mm. a jukebox in it. And I think that might be the room with fireplace, or it could be the karaoke room. Yeah. I'm not sure, but it was definitely very eerie in there, but mm-hmm. we had a fun time hanging out in there. We played some really cool tunes on the jukebox. Yeah. Had a great time. There's at least, from what I remember, one two active bars all the time Mm -hmm. and it's such a cool venue it is and if you're in edinburgh we highly suggest it yeah they've got a cinema where they show movies um they do karaoke they bands play there it's a really dope space if it were here i'd go all the time yeah oh yeah we i mean we went twice we were only there for like what three and a half days so basically if that says yeah, and the other place is, was on one of the higher streets. It was mm-hmm. called the Frankenstein. It was at the top of the South Bridge. Yeah, and it was so fucking cool. It's got this giant Frankenstein statue when you walk in the door, and the whole place is set up like Frankenstein's laboratory. And they show the old movie on the TV. This didn't happen while we were there, but apparently there are times where the lights go down and they sh- like 
set everything up. And strobe lights and Tesla coils and plasma lamps. and Yeah, it's very, very cool. So I want to turn it on. I know. Sorry, we've got a very curious kitten, as always. Yeah, our research assistant is restless this evening. Yeah, and he's gotten much bigger. He's about the size of one of our elder cats already. So, um... Beware, if you adopt a fluffy cat, you might accidentally adopt a house lion. It's true. He is he is large. Um, and foreboding. And may have just sliced my thumb open, but, eh, whatever. Just another scar for the batch. Yeah. Um, What's wrong with your hand? I have cats. Oh, I have cats. So, I am going to tell you a story that I came across while we were researching the vaults. Mm-hmm. And... You know, exploring stories of the history of Edinburgh, and especially the vaults and the kirkyards, you're bound to find the scary stories. And most of them are ghost stories, like the ones that Liam has told you. But some of them are true stories, and they're scarier than the made-up ones. And of course, leave it to me to find the serial killers in our midst. So I'm actually going to start mine with a little bit of a poem as well. And this is a poem that was actually from the time period. And it was a rhyme that the kids used to sing in the streets. Oh, God. Ready for a coffer, find a way. (laughs) Up the close and doom the stairs, but Ben with Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher and Hare's the thief. Knocks the boy that buys the beef. So, I will explain to you what this is all about. You know what? I think that's the names of a villain in Fox and hair or Burke and hair. Yeah, I think so. Very I, similar. I wouldn't be surprised that Neil Gaiman was influenced by this story at all. So in our research, the names Burke and Hare kept coming up, and I wasn't sure who they were at first. Was it the name of a pub? Like, oh, I stopped by the Burke and Hare for a pie and a pint. <laughs> um, or was it the name of a shop? Like in Harry Potter, it reminded me of Borgen and Burke's. Was it on Nocturne Alley? So much of the Wizarding World was actually based on Edinburgh that I wouldn't be surprised if this was actually something that influenced J.K. Rowling. But no, they were people. Bad people. Serial killer type people. Serial killer type bad people who killed 16 people between 1827 and 1828. William Burke and William Hare were both Irishmen living in Edinburgh. William Burke and his brother had grown up comfortably enough As a teenager, he had joined the army for a while, then got married, and he and his wife settled in County Mayo, Ireland. But things went bad fast. He eventually up and left his wife and kids and moved to Scotland to be a laborer. So he just took off, left him there. And he worked in the canals of a small village in Falkirk for a few years, and he married again. But when the work on the canals was done, the couple moved to Edinburgh. And he began to work as a cobbler and was generally well-liked by his clients and neighbors in the Tanner's Close. No one was quite sure when and where William Hare was born, either in County Londonderry or Newry, somewhere between 1792 and 802, but his records have not been confirmed. He claimed to be 21 when he was arrested in 1827, but he worked on the canals before moving to Edinburgh in in the 1820s. He also got a room in the Tanner's Close at a house of the Logue family. But when Daniel Logue died in 1826, Hare married his widow and took over the house. But he was not well-liked by most people and described as a lean, quarrelsome, and violent, amoral character with scars from old wounds about his head and brow. Margaret, Hare's wife, who was also an Irish immigrant, was a hard-featured and debauched virago. Now I had to look up virago because I was not sure what that meant, and I was (laughs) fascinated by it. Um, But now I want to call people viragos all the time. You, sir, are a fucking virago. So, no, it would be a female virago, but um, I might even be a virago to some people, but here's what it means. It's a woman given to undue belligerence or ill manner at the slightest provocation, a shrew, a termagant, or a woman who is scolding, domineering, or highly opinionated, or a woman who is rough, loud, and aggressive. 
Cuphead, yeah. I'm totally a Virago. Yes. <laughs> and fuck them for calling me that. Um, anyway. Both Williams decided to go to work as harvesters in Midlothian, where they met and fell in love. Okay, well, they didn't fall in love, but they became friends. Bro love. Bro, bro love, love. Romance. I love you, bro. I love you, bro. Nobody understands me like you. So, they actually became such good friends that Burke and his wife moved into Hare's lodging house. Apparently, they were very loud and very boisterous and, you know, those kind of neighbors. Oh, everybody's got those. Yeah. So, they didn't just jump right into the murder business, no. They actually, the first one was an accident. Bruh, bruh. They didn't even kill the guy. We We should kill people. No, they did not just jump right into it. Hare had another lodger at the time. His name was Donald. Just Donald. And Donald died. Donald had the dropsy and died in the house without paying his rent of four pounds. Oh, dropsy, eh? Yeah, so I had to look up dropsy, too. And dropsy is known now as edema. So when your body or certain body parts swells up with liquid, like when your feet swell up in the summer, like you've been sitting too long and eating only bacon. So, as my friend used to call it, burrito feet. Yeah. That is dropsy. And apparently... One of my meds that I take actually causes dropsy, so I've had a touch of the dropsy myself. And that's great. But anyway, Donald had the dropsy in the entire body, and he got really swollen, and he died. He got swole. He was swole. And Hare was not pleased that Donald had died without paying his rent, so our two Williams thought about how they could get the money from this guy. And they had heard rumors that dead bodies were selling down at the university because doctors needed cadavers to practice on. So they made a plan. Instead of letting old Donald just be buried, they hid the body under the bed. And the coffin was filled with old bark from one of the nearby tanneries. So Donald was then taken to the university the next day. And the coffin was buried and Donald was hidden and taken with them and they didn't even have a buyer lined up at the time they literally just went around asking doctor looking people if they knew if how anybody who needed a dead guy that's hilarious actually the hotel we were at was in physicians i'm getting to that oh okay so um they found some assistance to a dr knox who made a deal with them for seven pounds ten shillings and he also happened to mention, Dr. Cox did, that if they had any more of those dead bodies lying around, he'd gladly pay for them. No questions asked. And, and so it begins. Let me tell you why this is a thing. I mean, this is how Mr. Mungent got his <coughs> start. Exactly. So back in 1827, medicine was making huge breakthroughs. And it was advancing very rapidly. Doctors were actually finding cures for things and not just throwing leeches on you and calling it a day like they had been previously. <laughs> eh, have a leech. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what? You need some bloodletting. You'll be fine. Yeah. Ow, cat. Okay. Blood- cats are good for that. <laughs> I know. I've been bloodletting to the cat all day. Um, so the best way of learning about the human body and its anatomy and its ailments is to study actual human bodies. And at the time, the only bodies that you could legally dissect were either hanged criminals, suicides, or, you know, orphans. People that were not going to go to heaven. Okay. So, yeah. I love the fact that there, you know, categories for people who were going to heaven were criminals that had been hanged, suicides, and orphans. Well, to give you a a gist of the time frame, Mm -hmm. Edinburgh which is with the whole bridge being cursed thing is they were very superstitious having come from a lot of aftermath of wars after wars it made them super superstitious oh yeah i mean like they were always at war with the english and they were trying to get back on their feet and they were doing that through science a lot of it and they were blinded by science science So, um, basically what the doctors needed were more cadavers and they needed more of them than they could get legally. So on the other side of things, 
disturbing a grave was a cr criminal offense. And so was taking possessions from a grave. So grave robbing was beginning to become so prevalent that families were actually putting iron cages over the graves to keep the corpses in and the robbers out. And it's great for a zombie apocalypse, but bad for the grave robbing business. Right. And since that was illegal, they needed to find a way to get more bodies that had not been buried yet. Correct. So if you needed a corpse without disturbing a grave, you think smarter, not harder. <laughs> Just murder someone. Yes. So now Dr. Cox was an anatomist who was a qualified as a doctor in 1814. And after contracting the smallpox as a child, he was blind in one eye and badly disfigured. And he undertook service as an army physician at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, followed by a posting in England. And then during the Cape Frontier Wars, he was in South Africa, but he eventually settled in his hometown of Edinburgh in 1820. In 1825, he had become a fellow at the Royal College of Surgeons Edinburgh. in Edinburgh. Edinburgh where he was lecturing on anatomy. Yeah. And he undertook dissections twice a day. And his advertising promised a full demonstration on fresh anatomical subjects as part of every course he lectured on. Wow. And he stated that his lessons drew over 400 pupils. And it was all fine and good, but he needed bodies to conduct these lectures. So he's not above paying body snatchers for his commodity. Yes. So now after poor Donald had dropped dead of the dropsy, Brooke and Burke and Hare knew that it was not going to be so easy to find another dead guy. But what they did have was a lodging house and guests that nobody would really miss. Oh, this sounds so familiar. <laughs> Being in Chicago. Yes. So... Murder Castle. <laughs> murder Castle. Um, historians are not exactly sure of the order of the victims, because the only um, account of actually what happened were from the confessions of Burke and Hare. So not exactly the most um, reliable. reliable, and they changed very often. But um, they believe the next person killed was a miller named Joseph or a salt seller named Abigail. And they were both smothered to death. The reason they think Abigail was first was because she was smothered with a pillow. Joseph was smothered with a hand over his mouth and nose while Burke or Hare sat on his body to keep him prone. And they continued this technique and perfected it. So the extent of their crimes were made public. This form of murder became known as burking the victim. So they became so good at smothering people to death. Well, so they were being sat on that that is now called burking. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm slightly distracted. There's a cat. Yeah. And he is super fascinated in the, the new computer recording format. So I'm trying to keep him from fucking with shit and stop. Um, <clears throat> so Dr. Knox was so impressed with the freshman freshness of the cadavers that they were bringing him that he encouraged them to continue the good work. He was like, hey, boys, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. So I'll keep paying you. You bring me bodies. Exactly. <coughs> throw Excuse a, me. Throw a copper to the body. <laughs> they were actually getting about um, 10 pounds per person. Between eight and ten pounds per person, depending Ooh. on the um, condition of the body at the time. I mean, back then, that's a lot of money. Exactly. I, mean, I don't know what it equivalents to now, but... But it was giving them incentive to keep doing this. Yeah. So, next was an unnamed traveling match salesman who fell ill with jaundice at the house. And then the details of all the murders are not available... Because as I said, the only sources they had at the time were Burke's own confessions, which varied and may or may not have been accurate. But he said they mostly found random people in the area who looked like nobody would notice them. They'd invite them back to the lodging house, get them stupid drunk, and then smother them. And it worked several times. In each case, the bodies were then stuffed into a tea chest, and they dragged the entire 
tea chest down to Surgeon Square to be sold to Dr. Knox. Now, Surgeon Square just happens to be where we stayed when we were in Edinburgh. Yeah. Like, oh, so just to give you a reference, yeah. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. The equivalent of a pound in the 19th century was 85 modern U.S. dollars. So they were getting close to a grand per body. Okay, well, in that case, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say for a grand a body, I'm going to start killing people, but I can understand for somebody with looser morals, that would be a good yeah, gig. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so we stayed in Surgeon Square when we were in Edinburgh, and it's a quaint little cobblestone square, and it's a very nice Best Western. It was called <laughs> Ten Hill Place of Surgeon Square. Yeah, so if you so, want a place to stay at a good price and a nice hotel, it's got a great bar, yeah, good food, super awesome staff, yeah, stay there. Stay in Surgeon Square. Yeah, I think, it, what is it, one of the premieres or... Yeah, it's a Best Western premiere, and as I said, it's called Ten Hill Place of Surgeon Square. So, you know, again, not sponsored by Best Western, but... I'm a big fan. Um, you get the points. I do get the points. I think our trip was pretty much paid for because we had points. Yeah, we did have a lot of points. Yeah. So it was the last two victims that proved problematic for the duo. Their second to last victim was a familiar figure in the streets of Edinburgh. His name was James Wilson. He was an 18-year-old man with a limp caused by deformed feet. And he was also mentally disabled. And according to Alana King in her history of the murders, he was an inoffensive boy that was locally known as Daft Jamie. Don't kill me, bruh. So Wilson lived on the streets and supported himself by begging. In November, Hare lured Wilson to his lodgings with the promise of whiskey and set his wife to go fetch Burke. The two murderers then led Wilson into a bedroom the door of which Margaret Hare locked before pushing the key back under the door. As Wilson did not like excessive whiskey, he preferred snuff. He didn't get as drunk as much as much drunk as most of their victims. And he was also strong and he fought back against the two attackers. But he was eventually overpowered and killed in the burking method. His body was stripped and his few possessions stolen. Burke kept the snuff box, and Hare kept his snuff spoon. When the body was examined the following day by Knox and his students, several of them recognized Wilson. They were like, oh my god, is this Daft Jamie? And Docs was, you know, Dr. Knox was like, no, of course it's not Daft Jamie. And they're like, no, it's totally Daft Jamie. <laughs> they're like, um... So word started to circulate that Wilson was actually missing, And Knox dissected the body real quick and got rid of him as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Instead of keeping him in storage, the head and feet were removed before the main dissection so nobody else would actually know who it was. So, I mean, that's pretty shitty. Yeah, that is very uh, shitty. Yeah. So their final victim was killed on October 31st of 1828. Halloween night. Oh, Hallow's Eve. And her name was Margaret Doherty. She was a middle-aged Irish woman. Burke had lured her to the Brogan lodging house that he was staying in by claiming that his mother was also a Doherty from the same area of Ireland. And the pair began drinking. At one point, Burke left Doherty in the company of his cousin, and he went out ostensibly to buy more whiskey, but he actually went to go get hair. And the two other lodgers that were there were actually seen as an inconvenience to them, and so they were paid off and sent to go stay at Hare's house so they could have Doherty to themselves at their lodging house. And the drinking continued into the night, by which time Margaret Hare had also joined in. At around 9 p.m., the Greys returned briefly to collect some clothing, and they were chased off again. But they did see Burke, Hare, and their wives drinking with Doherty. They were all drunk, singing and dancing. Although Burke and Hare came to blows at some point during the evening, they subsequently got over it and murdered Doherty. (laughs) And they put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed. Because, you know. 
Well, it was mean, convenient, yeah, okay. and they were drunk. But the problem was, the next day the Greys returned, and Anne was suspicious when Burke would not let her approach the bed where she had left her stockings, because there was a dead body in the pile of hay at the end of the bed. So No, um, I would really prefer it if you didn't come this way... Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. Right. I mean, and she's like, I was staying in this room. I've got stuff in this room. And they were like, um, could you just not? And she was like, like... This is a sacred space. Yeah. You know? I mean, don't... So basically what they did is they waited for Burke and Hare to leave. And they went back into the room. And they searched the straw. And they found Doherty's body. And showing blood and saliva on her face. So they could tell that she had been murdered. And they went to alert the police. Um, on the way, they ran into um, one of the wives who tried to bribe them. And instead, they refused and they reported the murders. But Burke and Herod actually removed the body in the meantime and took it to Dr. Knox's surgery. Yes. Oh, wow. So... The police searched and located Doherty's bloodstained clothing hidden under the bed, though, because they didn't take that. And Burke and his wife gave different times for Doherty's departure and basically raised enough suspicion that the police were like, nah, you guys got to come in for questioning. Yeah. Uh, fun drinking game, by the way. Every time yeah. I say basically, take a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Get drunk real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so... The next morning, the police went to Knox's dissecting rooms where they found Doherty's body and she was identified as the woman seen with Burke and Hare and Hare and his wife were arrested that day and so was Brogan, but they denied all knowledge of the events. On, on November 3rd, a warrant was issued for the detention of Burke. Hare and their wives, Brogan was released because... They had nothing to do with it. The four suspects were kept apart and st statements were taken. And everybody's initial answers didn't match up. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so they basically... Drank. <sighs> See, now you've got me, got it stuck in my head and... <laughs> <laughs> We have fun. The body was examined. It was determined that Doherty had been murdered, so they were charged with murder. As part of the investigation, they interviewed Knox, who asserted that Burke and Hare had watched, poor had watched the poor lodging houses in Edinburgh and purchased bodies before anyone claimed them for burial. And though they thought that Knox was deficient in principle and heart, but they had no way to think that he had broken the law. Yeah. <clears throat> so the Lord advocate in charge of the case came to the conclusion that the only way to get a conviction in the case was to convince one of the men to turn state's witness, I guess not state's witness, but um, witness against the other one. And they chose William Hare to be their witness. So they let, Hare tell them what happened in exchange for testimony to convict Burke. And they also let his wife out because at the time there was a law that you couldn't prosecute a spouse on the testimony of your spouse. So your spouse could not be forced to testify against you. So Hare and his wife get out scot-free. They basically just tell them everything that happened blame it all on Burke, and they walk. So they entered charges of murder against Burke for four of the victims, including James Wilson and Margaret Doherty. And under cross-examination about the murder of Doherty, Hare claimed that Burke had been the sole murderer. McDougal had been twice involved by bringing Doherty back to the house, but he stated that he had just assisted Burke in the delivery of the body and had not murdered anybody. Um, he was not obliged to answer any other questions. 
and that his wife had been taking care of their baby at home who had whooping cough. So. What a load of crap. Yeah. Basically, the final prosecution witnesses were the doctors who had examined the bodies. They suspected foul play, but there was no forensic evidence to support the suggestion of murder. There were no witnesses called for the defense, although the pretrial declarations by Burke and McDougall were read out in their place. The prosecution summed up the case, which at 3 o'clock a.m., Burke's defense lawyer began his final statement, which just lasted two hours. McDougall's defense lawyer began his address to the jury on his client's behalf by 5 a.m., and Boyle then gave his summations, directing the jury to accept the arguments of the prosecution, blah, blah, blah. By 8.30 a.m. on Christmas Day, they had a guilty verdict against Burke for the murder of Doherty. That's all it took. They were like, eh, we're not going to worry about anybody else. We're convicting them on the murder of Doherty and his sentence death by hanging which then meant that his body could be dissected and anatomized and preserved (laughs) in remembrance of his crimes is what you get motherfucker so to this day right now you can actually go to the university of edinburgh medical school and see his dissected body hanging there Uh, in an ultimate irony and pure justice his body ended up being dissected by the doctors and I mean, used I, for science. I thought while we were there we should go to that museum. I know. And we, now that I know, if we go back... We're I, totally going, and we're going to just laugh at him. Yeah. Be like, you <coughs> stupid motherfucker. So, I thought that that was the perfect ending to that story. Like, you're selling dead bodies, murdered victims to be dissected, you get to be dissected too, motherfucker. Karmic judgment is swift. Exactly. Don't think that anything that you do doesn't have some sort of karmic judgment attached to it because it fucking does. So, that is my story of serial killers in Edinburgh. However, I did not find in any of my readings... Any mention of them using the vaults to hide their bodies. It was pretty well, much it, all done yeah, in the house. I mean, everything is, is, is rumor. So most of the rumors don't say that they hid the bodies in the vaults. It's more of they use the vaults as their hunting grounds. Okay. They may have Which gone down there to sense. find yeah. like, people who were not going to be missed. Yeah, I mean, if it was the slums, I mean, that's the place to find an undesirable at the time. So right. So, of course, you're gonna go there that's fair i mean that makes perfect sense i mean everything comes back you know twofold yeah exactly so i know that i had mentioned that i thought that the characters in the book were burke and Hare, but they weren't they were um mr croup and mr vandermeer okay but they were the assassins in the book okay and their descriptions definitely reminded me of for two yeah so um if you're a fan and you have not read the book we're talking about neverwhere by neil gaiman yes super amazing it's kind of hard to follow in the very beginning of the book you're kind of like what the fuck i have to admit i've tried it a couple of times i've gotten kind of stymied but at some point i will make it through yeah it's really really good if you can get through the kind of the beginning which it runs a little slow it's yeah. actually really really fucking good and he may have actually taken the characters from there because the main uh character which is richard mayhew yeah is actually from scotland who moves to london right and i mean that's the amazing thing also about edinburgh is there's so much is steeped in, in history so much is steeped in literary history i mean Everywhere you go over there, you cannot miss J.K. Rowling's influence, what she was influenced by. I mean, right around the corner from the Frankenstein, where we were talking about, 
is the Elephant Cafe where she actually wrote the first Harry Potter book. And they know it, and they fucking use it to their advantage. They just plaster it everywhere. And around the corner from that is the, um, if you go down the Royal Mile, there's a place called um, Greyfriars Kirkyard. Which which, is supposed to be super haunted. Which is also super haunted by a man who was a caretaker of this church, and he died very early. But his dog, who was his faithful companion, stayed outside of the church for the entire time uh, that the dog was alive, waiting for him to come back, and he was Greyfriars Bobby. And there's actually a statue of the dog on the bridge yeah. waiting for his master to come home. Yeah, and there's a uh, an alcove that you can walk through from the Royal Mile down onto Victoria Street, which mm-hmm. is absolutely beautiful. I believe the witch shop is on that street, plus yes. a Harry Potter shop. Yes, it's and that really is what they used cool. as a lot of the influence for Diagon Alley. So everything leads back to the wizarding world if you're into that. And God knows I'm into it. So I was, like, eating it. And if you go into the churchyard, which is the kirkyard of the church by Greyfriars, you can actually see the names of several of the characters that she actually stole from the graves of the people who are buried there. Yeah, including, so cool. um, I think there's actually a, a... I think Sirius Black is in there. I think... Voldemort is in there, and I think there might be a couple of Grangers as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking off the top of my head. I could be wrong, but there are people who were buried there that she used as basis for her characters. So, so it's yeah. It's beautiful. It's a great time. You can enjoy the scenery without paying the outrageous fee to walk into Edinburgh Castle. Yeah, the the Royal Mile's beautiful, the castle's beautiful, and the castle's considered one of the most haunted places in the world as well, but we did not want to pay outrageous prices to go in there. We went up to it, we looked at it, we went, hey, it's a castle! Cool! And then we walked right back down the hill. Yeah, so, <laughs> so our thing is, is was at the time that we went there, is we wanted to experience the area... As it was, which is why we went to these really cool bars, these really cool pubs, had an amazing time. Um, they've got, like, their main brew on tap in, in Edinburgh is Tenants, which is a Scottish ale, and it is so good. Yeah, I mean, you can get good beer everywhere you go. And I'm not a fan of beer, but I will actually sit down and I will drink Scottish ale all day long. I will drink Scottish cider all day long. I really just, you know, soak in the atmosphere, go to Haymarket Square, find a pub. There's literally one after another after another. The oldest bar in Scotland, the smallest bar in Scotland, the whatever. Everything's there. And the prob- the thing is, is like we went in like what, May? We went in June. Yeah, so we went in June and it was just... The weather was slightly chilly, but it was absolutely beautiful. And it was great walking weather. Yeah. We didn't overheat. We didn't get too cold. It didn't rain very often. And there's people on the streets constantly. Everybody's willing to talk to you, especially, you know, you hear these stories about Europeans thinking Americans are scum. And you don't get that. You get, like, oi, like... Come up here and talk to me, you know? You know, let's have a pint. Let's hang out. Like, yeah. And we got that, too, in London. Like, we stayed in a really posh neighborhood. We stayed in Kensington. Yes. But um, we had a great time in London, too. And I hope that maybe in a future episode we can talk about uh, the lock. Yeah, we can talk about Camden Town and some of the other stuff that we saw when we were in London. Yeah, we, and... we met a great band that was playing one night. And you know what? I also have to bring this up, because this is something I came upon when I was talking about the Grave Robbers. They were also known as Resurrection Men, which is a song by the band the C-33s, which are the band that we met while we were there. And this is the song that the song is actually about grave robbing, which is what 
Burke and Hare were going to be if they hadn't actually killed people and it just dug him up and brought him over there. So resurrection men are actually grave robbers. Yes. So if you're interested in some really cool, like I think here in the States, it would be considered surf rock. Yeah. But they are phenomenal. They like surf rock punk, like, and just really nice people. Yeah. Three piece, like super dope. Check them out. They're touring everywhere in the UK. Hopefully they'll come here to the States. I cannot wait. Yeah. Good people. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about the UK. I want to go back. He wants to go back. We have so much more to explore. And we have so much more to tell you about. So yeah, stay tuned to that. I can't wait till we get to go to Glasgow. But, hey, if you're from the UK and you're listening to this and you have stuff to tell us about and recommend, please do, again, Instagram, Facebook, our community page, or... Hit us up on our email, dietblack at gmail.com. But we really want to hear from everybody and hear your stories and hear your feedback. And if you do listen to us on iTunes, rate us, put in a review. I don't care if you say we're shit and we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Just let us know because we want to learn and we want to know what you want to think. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, every single week the two of us write like a full on essay yeah, we take hours to research this stuff mm-hmm. and bring it to you and write an actual, like, seven-page paper. Like, so... <laughs> and that's each of us. Yeah, because we love so, what we do, and we have a good time, and we hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. So, you know, tell us, please. We're begging. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Diet Black. Diet Black. <laughs>